Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Johnny DC. And I'm his twin brother, Marvelous Joe. And welcome to the first Duel episode of the new year. We're going to be pitting the Teen Titans character of Terra against Avalanche of the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. One has geokinesis, the other one has seismokinesis, which are, uh, you know, relatively similar, but different enough to make this interesting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. This, of course, is in lead up to episode 325, where we will pit the Flash Rogues against the Brotherhood of Mutants in our big team duel episode coming out in March. But before we get to that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news from the past week, of which there was none. No news. It's very slow. Very slow right now. Up until, you know, James Gunn announces the DC slate. We're just waiting on that whenever that happens. But in the meantime, we do have some exciting news to share with you guys that we're going to keep secret. It's more of an announcement than news, but it's still exciting. As always, we list our segment times in our episode description. So feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. Don't forget, guys, to join us on Patreon, where we offer ad-free episodes of the show, access to our Discord chat community, where you can shoot the breeze with Jonathan and I, and you get access to our new Infinity Crisis Marvel vs. DC deck-building card game. Check it out right now at patreon.com slash dynamicduel, linked in our show notes. Our lowest dynamic 2-0 tier is only $2 a month. And in our fantastic $4 tier, you get all of that, plus access to our monthly bonus episodes, including blooper reels and top 10 shows, and the visual data from our dual episodes at no extra cost. And finally, our X-Force tier, which is $10 a month, gets you all that, and you get to become an executive producer of this show and help us determine our episode content. Again, visit patreon.com slash dynamicduel and pick a tier that works for you. If you're interested in supporting the show but not able to join Patreon, then stop by our website, dynamicduel.com, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, where we keep you informed on all things going on with the show, and you get free access to the visual data of the results from our latest Duel episode when you sign up and confirm your email. Thanks to everyone who supports the show, but with that out of the way, quick to the no prize! A No Prize is an award Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award we post on Instagram and in our newsletter for the person that we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. 
Last week, coming off the news that Donald Glover is making a hypno-hustler movie for Sony, we asked you to pick an obscure D-list supervillain for Marvel or DC and tell us what their solo movie would be about and who would play them. We got some awesome answers here. We could only pick three honorable mentions and one winner, though, so let's go ahead and break them down. Our first honorable mention goes to Miggy Matangian, who said... Hey, what's up, guys? This is Miggy, and I'm pitching a Roadrunner movie. Bixby Rhodes is the owner of an extremely high-end car dealership and one of Gotham's premier gun smugglers. He hides his clients' weapons in their custom-ordered luxury vehicles. He also has advanced robotic legs that let him run and jump fast, and he tried to kill Dick Grayson as Batman in a car crusher. The movie would be something like Baby Driver meets Goodfellas, and I would cast Cuba Gooding Jr. as the titular character. Yeah, so this was an interesting answer. I've never actually heard of Roadrunner before, but that sounds like a fantastic pitch. You know, Miggy mentioned Baby Driver and Goodfellas, but I was also thinking just listening to that, something like Gone in 60 Seconds or like even the Fast and Furious films. I was thinking of Gone in 60 Seconds too. I was going to say that because that's what the film kind of sounds like it would be like. Yeah, that's a great movie too. It is a really good movie. I would totally be up for seeing this. I, I don't know about Cuba Gooding Jr. though. He's kind of getting up there. But no, yeah, like the character's backstory and his power set sound really interesting. And I always think that car chases are a lot of fun. So uh, great pitch. Great pitch. Our next honorable mention goes to Jeff Miles Jr., who said, Hey, guys, it's Jeff Miles Jr. Um, for the obscure villain, I'm going to go with DC's Dr. Moreau, played by Jeff Goldblum. And the story is going to be around how he created the Red Tornado family. Red Tornado will be starred by Dean Winters, the all-state guy. And um, the plot basically transitions to him creating the Tomorrow Women, um, who idea is stolen by Professor Ivo, who is played by one and only Jim Carrey. And they feuded over it with Red Tornado's help. Dude, Jeff Goldblum versus Jim Carrey as mad scientists just trying to like out-science each other with androids <laughs> sounds like a surefire hit. I'd pay to see that for sure. Heck yeah. And like those are just pretty interesting characters. T.O. Morrow or, or Moreau as you pronounced it, He's the one who created Red Tornado, and Professor Ivo is the one who created Amazo, amongst other machines and gadgets and, and androids and things like that. Uh, but they're both geniuses in their field, and sometimes they work together, sometimes they're enemies. I think it would be a fantastic film. That would be awesome. I don't think Jeff Goldblum and Jim Carrey have been in a movie together since uh, Earth Girls Are Easy, I think. Well, that's a throwback. Yeah, it's an old one, but it's a good one. Great answer, Jeff. Our next honorable mention goes to Michael Harold, who said, Hey, guys. So, first off, Donald Glover needs to drop that movie to go back and help get that community movie made that we all deserve. But my pick for a D-list would be Condiment King. Making a comedy movie where he's trying to get the respect that he thinks he deserves throughout the entire thing by trying to pull off the biggest heist in Gotham history. Yep, Condiment King would be my answer. Yeah, I agree. I don't know why Donald Glover is doing a hypno-hustler movie over the community film, but it's a huge mistake. And if you're casting him as Condiment King, I'm not sure if you did or not. I think that would be hilarious. I think the Condiment King is a ridiculous villain, probably like the most embarrassing villain of all time. <laughs> so why not have a comedian play him? Now, I remember Condiment King from the Batman animated series, but he is based off of a character from the comics, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. He, he's a real villain. So crazy. <laughs> but yeah, he's a hilarious kind of joke of a character who I think would make for an excellent comedy film on the big screen. Yeah, I loved him on the Harley Quinn show. I thought that was freaking hilarious. Oh, yeah. Him versus Kite Man. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> 
We want to give a big thank you shout out to Scotty Macho and Travis Bailey. Thank you guys both for your answers. Scotty Macho gave the answer of Hush and Travis Bailey gave the answer basically of Jonah Hex, which is a movie that's already been made, but it was a great TED talk. Thanks for that, Travis. But the winner of this week's no prize is Matt Estes, who said, Hey, fellas, Matt Estes here. Uh, So picture this, you got a disaster movie where all these earthquakes are happening all over the world and nobody can figure out why. And then we figure out that it is Mole Man, played by none other than Danny DeVito. Boom. This needs to happen. Like, this was such a perfect answer that I'm actually angry now that it was mentioned because I feel like I'm not going to ever see it. Danny DeVito would make a perfect Mole Man. For those who know him, he was uh, the very first villain that the Fantastic Four ever went up against. And uh, he and his moloids, they live underneath New York City in the ground. And pitching it as a disaster movie with Danny DeVito behind it is just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, I really loved the buildup of his pitch, too. It was like so mysterious. And then that payoff at the end, fantastic. If Mole Man is ever cast in the MCU, you got to hope it was played by Danny DeVito because there's really no one better for that role. Uh, no, absolutely. Think we'll ever see Mole Man on screen? Eventually. Yeah, I'm sure. I have my doubts, but uh, I hope they're wrong. Big congrats to Matt Estes for winning this week's No Prize. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own No Prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news. <laughs> Okay, and a bit of exciting news that will probably not be a surprise to you if you follow us on social media. This past week, Joseph and I and the podcast became Tomato Meter approved for Rotten Tomatoes. Finally, right? I mean, this is huge. If you guys have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that like five years ago, all the way back in 2018, we were trying to reach the threshold to be eligible as critics for Rotten Tomatoes and have our reviews of these Marvel and DC films count toward those tomato meters. We had so many people write in and give us reviews on this show because one of the criteria was that we had to get to 200 reviews. And I just want to thank everyone who did that and, you know, still listening to the show. We got everything squared away back in 2018 and we submitted our application and fucking crickets for five years. Finally, out of the blue, Rotten Tomatoes just emailed us and said our application was approved. Yeah, I mean, if you've been a longtime listener, you know what this means to us. But you may not know that Joseph and I have had dreams of being professional film critics. When we were in high school, we started our own film club where we would just watch and talk about movies. It's a big part of our lives. So for this to finally happen for us, I can't tell you what it was like just to hear that I had hit one of my life's goals, you know? And it's all because of you guys. It's all because of our listeners. It's all because of those who took the time to get onto their podcast app and just tell us how much they liked the show. I kind of lost faith that this would ever happen for us. And the fact that it has is just unbelievable. Like, I'm still trying to process it. Yeah, it just goes to show, guys, if you have goals out there and you've done everything within your ability to achieve that goal, maybe just wait five years. And then one day (laughs) when you're just minding your own damn business, it'll happen for you, too. That, but also, like, don't give up on your dream and bet on yourself, because we've had plenty of people question what we were doing with this podcast and sort of what the purpose of it was and, you know, recommending that we do different things with it. But Joseph and I have always had a sort of like unspoken idea of what we wanted this to be. 
And for us to finally hit this goal that we've had for five years, again, incredibly validating and just makes all of this work worth it. Yeah. And uh, be sure to check us out on Rotten Tomatoes whenever you visit that website. Jonathan and I are still in the process of uploading our backlog of reviews onto the site. You know, I really wish they would have approved our application five fucking years ago uh, because now we have all this work to do. But uh, it's great, though. It's great to be on the site and be like a real critic, it feels like. Yeah, and we're looking forward to adding more of our reviews as we review more movies coming out this year. Again, thanks to everybody who left us a review way back in the day to help us reach this goal. It meant the world to us then, and it means the world to us now. But speaking about movies and opinions of them, that brings us to our question of the week. What is your number one favorite Marvel or DC movie or show of all time and why? Yeah, we're really not judging these answers based on the film or show you pick, but rather the reasoning you give for why it's your favorite. So record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message can be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and award that person a Dynamic Duel no prize that we'll post to Instagram and our email newsletter. Be sure to answer before January 12th because Jonathan and I will be recording the next episode a little bit early because Jonathan has a work trip in Las Vegas. So respond as quickly as you can, preferably right now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, and I think it's time for the main event for this episode, so let's find out who would win in a duel between the Teen Titans member Terra and Avalanche from the Brotherhood of Mutants. Terra versus Avalanche. As we mentioned earlier, this episode is in lead up to our 325th episode, which will be a team duel between the Flash's rogues and the Brotherhood of Mutants from the X-Men comics. Yeah, and Avalanche is going to be part of the Brotherhood team in that team duel. And as we were building out the calendar, our executive producers, I think it was Miggy, stated that a good matchup for the character of Avalanche would be Terra from the Team Titans, which was great because the power sets of these two characters is not like one for one exact, but they are similar enough to make things interesting. Yeah, Terra has geokinesis and you said that Avalanche has seismokinesis? 
Yeah, I don't know if that's a real word, but uh, basically he can project seismic vibrations. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, really the only experience I have with Avalanche is that X-Men cartoon. X-Men Evolutions, I think it was. Yeah, that was a different character. His name was Lance. They kind of like reworked Avalanche for that show, gave him a new name, made him a teenager who was in love with Kitty Pride. He was a great character in that cartoon, but he wasn't the character from the comics. It was the one from the comics like European or something like that? He's Greek. His name is Dominic. Cool. That's something they have in common then, because Terra is also from a European country. Interesting. Interesting. Euro battle. Can't wait to find out who's going to win. If you've never listened to one of our dual episodes before, the way we determine a winner between these two characters is by running 1,000 Monte Carlo simulations using their statistics. A Monte Carlo simulation is a probabilistic model used to determine outcomes through random sampling. And in our case, it randomizes statistics along a normal distribution, which is a bell curve, as a way to simulate the many variables that can occur during battle. The stat parameters we use are based on the official Marvel Power Grid, and we use that criteria to extrapolate the DC character stats. We've included some additional stat categories of our own, such as range, damage potential, versatility, and perception, in order to create a more complete and robust simulation. Running these 1000 simulations gives us a percentage of wins for each character, and we declare that the one with the higher percentage is the ultimate victor, considering that they're more likely to win any given battle. No character ever wins 100% of the time, and comics have shown that there's usually a way for Batman to defeat Superman, and we feel our method falls in line with the precedents that have been established in the comic book stories. And we use this method because it was the least subjective, most unbiased way to determine who would win. Of course, we're both heavily biased toward our respective allegiances, so instead of debating these matches forever, we just let the math decide for us. There are no fan votes here, and no relying on just feats. Before we run the simulations, though, we like to break down each character's histories and abilities before improvising a scenario on how we imagine one of the 1,000 simulations we run would play out beat for beat. And I believe it's my turn to go first with the backstory of the DC character, so let me tell you all about Terra. During World War II, the fictional European country of Markovia was invaded and occupied by the Nazis, who had overthrown the country's monarchy. With the help of superheroes from America, the Nazis were driven out of Markovia, and the country's royal heir, Viktor Markov, was made king. In the passing decades, King Viktor had two sons, Prince Gregor, the elder, and Prince Brian, the younger, along with an illegitimate daughter named Tara. Tara's mother, King Viktor's mistress, died in childbirth, and Tara was raised in America to spare the crown any scandal or embarrassment. Tara grew up with the hope that one day she could return to Markovia and rule over its people as an officially recognized princess. And as a teenager in the 1980s, she was invited back, though only at the behest of Markovia's chief royal scientist, Dr. Helga Jace. In order to bolster the power of the crown, Dr. Jace performed experiments on Tara to see if she could activate a latent metagene within the royal family. Dr. Jace's experiments on Terra were successful as Terra developed geokinesis. With her new power making her potentially more noticeable and more of a threat to King Victor's good name, Terra was forced to return to America, dashing her dreams of being a princess. Deciding to use her new powers to rule over and punish others, Terra became a mercenary, eventually meeting and forming a romantic relationship with Deathstroke, who you can learn more about in our Deathstroke vs. Deadpool duel episode. 
Deathstroke drafted Terra into helping him fulfill a contract left over by his late son, Ravager, who was hired by the terrorist organization Hive to kill the Teen Titans. Blaming the Teen Titans for his son's death, Deathstroke agreed to pick up where his son left off and hatched a plan with Terra, who despised the Teen Titans for using their powers to help rather than rule. Terra planned to infiltrate the team and gain intel on its members. Soon after, Beast Boy ran into Terra several times while she was committing various criminal acts. When he finally caught her, she lied to the Teen Titans, saying that her father, King Victor of Markovia, had been kidnapped by a terrorist group and she was being forced to do their bidding. The Teen Titans, who you can learn more about in our Titans vs X-Men team duel, helped Terra bring down the terrorists, who, being hired by Deathstroke, revealed to the team that Terra's father was dead even before they fled Markovia for America. Pitying Terra, the Teen Titans accepted her into their ranks at the behest of Beast Boy, who had developed a romantic interest in her. In reality, King Victor was not dead, though he did die soon after, during a coup and invasion of Markovia by the Nazi Baron Bedlam. In order to protect the country and the throne, Dr. Jace used the same procedure she had performed on Terra on Prince Brian, turning him into the superhero Geoforce, who was able to save Markovia and his older brother Gregor, now the King of Markovia, with the help of Batman and the Outsiders in their first mission. Geoforce joined Batman and the Outsiders back in America, and it wasn't long before he crossed paths with Terra, as the Outsiders and Teen Titans joined forces to defeat the Fearsome Five, who had kidnapped Dr. Jace. Though Terra feared that her brother or Dr. Jace could reveal her lies and expose her to the Teen Titans, that didn't occur during the team-up, and Terra continued to aid the Teen Titans in their adventures, even partaking in a battle against Deathstroke himself. After a year being on the team developing close relationships, especially with Beast Boy, Terra had gathered enough intelligence on the Titans to allow Deathstroke and her to capture the team for Hive, save for Dick Grayson, aka Nightwing, who you can learn more about in his duel match against Daredevil. Nightwing infiltrated Hive alongside Deathstroke's other son, the new hero Jericho, who was capable of taking control of others through eye contact. Though Nightwing and Jericho were also captured, Jericho used his powers to take control of Deathstroke and caused him to attack Terra and members of Hive. Believing herself betrayed by Deathstroke and rejected in favor of Jericho in the same way that she was rejected by her father in favor of his sons, Terra snapped. In an effort to kill Deathstroke and the Titans herself, Terra showered the underground Hive base with boulders, though the only person she managed to kill was herself. Distraught over Terra's betrayal, the Teen Titans decided, nonetheless, to hide her deceitful actions from the superhero community at large, specifically her brother Geoforce, who believed his sister died a hero, though the truth was eventually revealed to him by Batman. During the Zero Hour event in which the timeline was restructured, a new amnesiac version of Terra emerged, believing herself to be a version from an alternate future. She was rejected by the Teen Titans, particularly Beast Boy, due to the trauma they had endured at the hands of the Terra they knew, and because they could not verify whether she was from an alternate future or their Terra plucked from the timeline before she died. When she visited her brother Geoforce in Markovia, scans revealed to Prince Brian that she was in fact his sister who had died, though he lied to her, making her believe that she wasn't so that she could live with no past rather than one of shame. 
Terra died once again at the hands of Black Adam during the World War III event, and she was buried by the Titans. It was later revealed that this Terra was actually a girl from a subterranean nation known as Strata, who was exposed to a DNA virus that was designed to transform her into the genetic doppelganger of the original Terra. After she died, the Stratons sent a new citizen, a girl named Atli, to establish relations with the surface world and take up the mantle of Terra. This version of Terra became a sidekick to Power Girl, who you can learn more about in our Power Girl vs Valkyrie episode. During the Blackest Night event, the original Terra was brought back to life as a zombified Black Lantern and attacked both the Teen Titans and Outsiders teams, forcing her brother Geoforce to destroy her. In the post-Flashpoint reboot of continuity, Terra was raised as a princess in Markovia, though she was captured and experimented on alongside Beast Boy by an organization known as Nowhere, led by the villain Harvest. She and other experiment victims eventually escaped and formed a team known as the Ravagers, led by Caitlin Fairchild of Gen 13 fame. Deathstroke would later be hired by Nowhere to bring down the Ravagers, which he succeeded in doing and took Terra as payment. He manipulated her into joining his team, known as the Defiance, though she eventually escaped him as well. And that's Terra's backstory. Powers-wise, Terra is a geokinetic, capable of controlling and manipulating all forms of earth and rock. She can generate earthquakes, tremors, and shape stone into sharp points or even golems under her control. She can levitate rock, allowing her to hurl stones or fly while atop a boulder. And she can control the earth's density, allowing her to turn stone to mud or vice versa. She's a brilliant master of deception, though she does suffer from a psychotic mental disorder said to have been brought about by her upbringing, experimentation, and or drugging by Deathstroke that has caused her to suffer fits of uncontrollable rage. That's Tara. Does she not have any history after the post-rebirth timeline? Yeah, she does actually. Her original backstory was restored. So like being raised up by the Ravagers, being a princess in Markovia was written out of continuity. But it was stated in Rebirth that her and Deathstroke never had a sexual relationship. He only manipulated her with the prospect of one. Oh, thank God they uh, fixed that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. But she's a villain now still, right? They're not doing much with her right now that I'm aware of. I imagine she's still in Markovia, and hopefully if they bring her back, you know, she would be reformed. That would be cool. Yeah. Okay, pretty interesting. Let me go ahead and get into the Marvel characters backstory and tell you all about Avalanche. Now, Dominikos Petrikis was born on the Greek island of Crete, where he lived a largely quiet life. Little is known about his childhood or his past in Greece, but it was there as a teen that he first manifested his mutant ability to generate seismic vibrations from his hands. He grew up aware of the general public's fear and hatred of mutant kind, and chose early on to keep his powers a secret. The shapeshifting mutant Mystique discovered Dominikos, however, and recruited him into her version of the Brotherhood of Mutants team. She brought him to the United States, where he began going by the shortened, anglicized version of his name, Dominic Petros, but better known as his codename, Avalanche. Mystique had used her powers to infiltrate the Pentagon headquarters for the Department of Defense, where this new brotherhood attempted to assassinate Senator Robert Kelly, a politician who had developed the Mutant Registration Act, which was legislation that would require mutants to disclose their identities and abilities to the government. 
Little did the Brotherhood know, this assassination would result in the dystopian future known as the Days of Future Past, where Sentinel robots would take over North America and all mutants would be killed or imprisoned in concentration camps. In that future timeline, the daughter of Cyclops and Jean Grey, named Rachel Summers, telepathically sent the consciousness of mutant Kitty Pride into the body of her past self, when she was the newly recruited member of the X-Men. Kitty Pride was able to warn the X-Men about the Brotherhood's forthcoming assassination plot, and together they were able to stop Dominic and his teammates from killing Senator Kelly, preventing the Days of Future Past timeline. Dominic and the rest of the Brotherhood were sent to Riker's prison, though they were broken out by Mystique. He went on his own to California in an attempt to extort the state into paying him to keep him from triggering a massive earthquake at the San Andreas Fault and causing the West Coast to plummet into the sea. He was stopped by the Hulk, however, and during the fight, Dominic was reminded that his seismic powers don't work on organic beings, as when he tried to disintegrate the Hulk, the seismic feedback shattered nearly every bone in Dominic's arms. He retreated back to the Brotherhood of Mutants and recuperated, while Mystique leveraged her influence through her undercover government position to convince the US Commission on Superhuman Activities to pardon the Brotherhood members and use them instead as federal agents. Dominic and his fellow teammates were rebranded into the government-sponsored super team called Freedom Force. Their first mission was to capture Magneto, who then surrendered to stand trial for his crimes against humanity. You can learn more about Magneto in our Sinestro vs. Magneto duel episode. In his capacity as a federal agent, Dominic went up against a number of heroes, including the Avengers, X-Factor, and the New Mutants, as well as other villain teams such as the Reavers. After Freedom Force disbanded after a botched mission rescuing a scientist in the Persian Gulf, Dominic became a mercenary for hire. He soon learned, though, that his former teammate Pyro had contracted the Legacy Virus, a fatal mutant disease, and Dominic tried to aid his old friend in his quest for a cure, to no avail as Pyro eventually succumbed to his illness. You can learn more about this in our Captain Cold vs. Pyro episode. Dominic was then recruited into a new team called X-Corps, led by the former Scottish X-Men Banshee, who felt that the best approach to achieve Professor X's dream of peaceful coexistence between humans and mutants was to have a mutant police force to formally regulate the activities of other mutants. Dominic and the X-Corps operated throughout Europe, but it was eventually revealed that Banshee was using the illusion-casting powers of Mastermind to placate the more villainous, quote-unquote, reformed members of the team. In reprisal, those members went on a rampage across Paris, where Dominic toppled the Eiffel Tower. The X-Men were able to defeat Dominic and the rogue villains before much more damage could be done, though. After the events of M-Day, when the powers of the world's mutant population were temporarily eradicated, Dominic, who retained his abilities, opened up a bar called Nyx in San Francisco, where the occasional use of his seismic powers would largely go unnoticed. After the X-Men set up their new headquarters off the coast of San Francisco on the island of Utopia, Dominic helped protect the city from the likes of the Dark X-Men, the Juggernaut, and Nimrod Sentinel robots. Due to Dominic's reformation as a hero, the X-Men offered him a spot back in Westchester, New York, at the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, but he declined to instead quietly keep running his bar. Shortly after, the villainous Red Skull captured and lobotomized Dominic and forced him to attack New York City in an effort to further divide humans and mutants. 
Unwillingly, Dominic killed himself when the Avengers came to stop him. However, when all of Earth's mutants united on the sentient island nation of Krakoa, they established a process of mutant resurrection using a combination of mutant powers. Dominic was one of the mutants that were brought back from the dead, and he joined the extraterrestrial focused intelligence agency known as SWORD, which had formed an alliance with Krakoa. As part of SWORD's response to a distress signal from the planet known as Throne World, Avalanche helped Galactic Emperor Hulkling and Wiccan fend off an attack of Mindless Ones sent by Dormammu of the Dark Dimension. You can learn more about Hulkling and Wiccan in their respective duel episodes against Ms. Martian and Jakim Thunder. That's Avalanche's backstory. Powers-wise, Avalanche has the innate mutant power to generate seismic vibrations from his hands to affect inorganic matter. These vibrations can be anywhere from small enough to turn objects into dust and large enough to topple a whole town. With his powers, he has cracked open large divergent fissures in the ground, caused convergent chunks of earth to blast from the ground like a sudden cliff, and throw foes off balance by transforming the ground into a liquid-like state. Avalanche can form waves of earth matter to ride atop as a means of transportation. And these effects don't just apply to land masses, he can also use his powers to create giant tidal waves when directed at bodies of water. Most small objects Avalanche can crumble in an instant, but he cannot direct the seismic vibrations directly at organic matter, otherwise they reverberate back at him. He wears an armored battle suit with a helmet to protect him from harm, granting him enhanced durability. Avalanche is also a skilled hand-to-hand -hand combatant with experience in Greco-Roman wrestling. And that's Avalanche. Okay, so seismic, that just means like vibration, right? Yeah, but it's a little bit different from someone like Vibe, who, as you know from our duel with him against Miss America, he can like open up portals to other dimensions and stuff. Avalanche is more just about causing destruction. And this is all channeled through his hands? Yes, correct. And it can't be channeled through any other part of his body? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. Good. <laughs> all right. Although, like, if you look at the X-Men Evolution cartoon version of him, it was more like Avalanche was controlling the power through, like, clenching or something like that. It was a little bit <laughs> overboard on that show. I guess they were still learning how to use their powers in that cartoon. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But now that we've got their histories and abilities out of the way, let's speculate on how one of the 1000 simulated matches will go. The winner is determined by simulations, not this speculation. But it's fun to imagine how this fight could play out. We don't set any rules for this match other than the characters don't know anything about each other going in, except that the other character is a threat that needs to be put down. And we say they start off about 50 meters apart in an environment that has no bearing on the match itself because we don't take stats for the environment. Plus, certain characters have advantages in some environments over others, and we want these characters to win on their own merit. So let's get into it. Terra and Avalanche meet on the battlefield. Who goes first? Okay, we said no environment for this matchup, but like we have to assume there is like earth beneath them to be effective in this duel, right? Right, yeah. I mean, maybe if they were fighting like at the top of a 200 story building, I imagine Avalanche would have an advantage. And yeah. we always say that wherever they're fighting, like it has to be fair for both combatants though, right? So yeah, there's probably ground beneath them. I think that's a fair assumption. And uh, I'm going to say that Tara is going to go first because she seems a little bit more mentally unstable and wrathful. So she's going to start by breaking off and lifting several chunks of ground into the air. And she's just going to reshape them into like uh, 
like sideways stalagmites, like spikes essentially, and she's gonna hurl them at Avalanche. Okay, uh, Avalanche sees these earth spikes coming at him and uh, he's gonna shoot his seismic vibrations into the ground right before him, uh, causing it to rise up like this ocean wave of rocks that then barrels toward Terra and swallows these spike projectiles that she shot and Terra just gets pummeled and buried in this landslide that Avalanche sent at her. Except that Terra wouldn't get hit by that because like as that wave of Earth is just coming at her, she's just gonna split it right in half like a badass Moses and it's just gonna fall on the sides of her. And then she's gonna summon like a giant fist that comes up from the ground right beneath Avalanche and it's gonna crush him in its rocky grasp. Avalanche is just gonna turn this rock hand into dust, crumbling it beneath him and uh, he's gonna land onto the ground with this stomp, which is gonna open up a fissure that cracks along the ground and opens up beneath Terra's feet, and she's just gonna fall into this big crack in the ground to her death. Okay, yeah, she falls, but you know she's just gonna get caught by this chunk of earth that she's gonna use to levitate out of the fissure and into the sky, and she's pissed, right? So she's gonna grab like every stone and piece of rubble like in the surrounding environment into the air with her, and it's just gonna be like this swarm of debris in the sky. She's gonna send all of that crashing right into Avalanche, just pummeling him relentlessly from every direction like like a stone hailstorm. Oh shit, well, I don't think he could like individually disintegrate all of these stones before uh, they beat the shit out of him. Um, So he's definitely going to get knocked around. But, you know, his armor is going to help him take some of this beating. And to escape this onslaught of stones, he's going to erect this cliff from the ground beneath him that quickly raises him up and above the debris storm, about to the same elevation as Terra, who's still in the sky on her floating rock, right? Right. And uh, Avalanche is going to shake that rock that she's standing on, which is going to cause her to lose her balance and then fall off the rock to the ground below. Okay. Okay. But as this thing is shaking and and she's about to fall, she's just going to run forward toward Avalanche, like summoning these stones to her feet to act as stepping stones in the air. Okay. And as she's Hmm. getting close to him, these golems form at his sides and grab him, like holding him in place as she launches forward, forming a massive boulder-sized fist around her hand that she's just going to slam right down on Avalanche. Let me get this straight. So she punches him with a rock fist around her hand. Yeah. And she also created these golems that are grabbing onto Avalanche? Yeah, they're like setting him up for the blow. Where are they grabbing him? Well, like his arms and shoulders. Okay, so his hands are free. Uh, I meant his hands. His hands, too. (laughs) Too late. Too late. Uh, So his hands are free. And as Avalanche sees Terra coming at him with her rock fist, he's going to use his free hands to send waves that disintegrate the rock fist that she forms. And uh, she just ends up punching him with her bare fist. And Uh, she's just going to break all the bones in her hand against his helmet. Fuck. And then he's going to use his free hands to disintegrate the golems next to him, too. And while she's, like, holding her broken hand... Avalanche is just going to straight up Spartan kick this chick off the cliff that they're standing at the edge of. And he's like, this is Crete, which is where he's from. He's not from Sparta. But anyway, so she's falling off this cliff with the broken hand and the wind's knocked out of her. And as she's falling, Avalanche is going to turn that cliff into an avalanche that falls over and crushes her as she lands. And uh, he's just riding on top of the landslide uninjured. Okay. Uh, but like 
in the chaos of the avalanche, those rocks that you think are crushing her are actually forming like a protective shell against the rest of the debris as she gets buried. So with everything settled, you know, Avalanche is above her thinking she's like entombed beneath him. And that's when all hell breaks loose, like literally <laughs> from her shell. She's going to open up a lava channel beneath him that's going to erupt directly at Avalanche's feet, just exploding her and her rock shell into the air and knocking Avalanche into a lava pool, leaving nothing but a floating pile of bones and armor. Boom. Um, I'm going to say that. Uh, he could feel the tremors beneath his feet, you know? So instead of getting knocked into lava, he dodges out of the way of this eruption from the ground. And then he's gonna use his seismic powers to shake the rock shell that tears in, just knocking her around inside like a rattle, uh, which is gonna make her come out of the shell. But the only thing that she's gonna see is this tidal wave of lava come over her that uh, Avalanche generated with the lava that's around him using his powers. Dude, I'm calling such a bullshit. If you what? feel like a tremor beneath you, you can't dodge a lava blast that erupts beneath you. Sure you can. You just you just leap really far no. and then tuck and roll. No. <laughs> That's not happening. It, um, well, it happened. Did it, though? Yeah, and uh, we'll go ahead and leave the match there. Either Terra erupted from the ground like a volcano, knocking Avalanche into lava and burning him alive, or... Somehow Avalanche miraculously jumped far enough to escape the opening of a volcano. <laughs> yeah, and then he used that same lava to create a lava tidal wave that drowns and burns Terra. No way. No way. Let's go ahead and find out which of these two scenarios happens by inputting the character stats, running the simulations, and coming back with the winner. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, as we mentioned earlier, the characters don't really have similar power sets, but they kind of do similar things with the ground, like create earthquakes and hurl rocks, essentially. So even though they have different methods of doing that, their stats weren't terribly different. No, yeah, like they were similar in terms of speed and evasiveness and the amount of damage that they could inflict. They did defer in a few stats. Yeah, but only minimally so. Uh, namely, strength. We said that Terra was slightly stronger and that she's able to levitate stuff with her mind. We said that Avalanche was a better fighter, just barely though. We, of course, gave the versatility edge to Terra, but the biggest discrepancy actually came in terms of durability, where we said that Avalanche is considerably more durable because he wears armor. 
Right. We've seen this dude get thrown against a building by the Hulk of all people and come out of it, you know, still able to fight as compared to Tara, whose outfit is pretty minimal. We did say that Tara has greater perception, though, because of her like geo sense or however you call it. Right, right. She's able to sense the ground around her. Yeah. But taking all of these statistics in mind, Joseph, who do you think came out on top in this match? I don't know how this is going to go down, honestly. Tara's versatility and strength really give me pause. You know, Avalanche does have greater durability and is a more proven hand-to-hand combatant, but uh, it's going to come down to the wire. Therefore, I got to give it to my boy Avalanche. Despite what our Instagram poll takers say, 64% of them said that Tara would win based on our Instagram poll. Which kind of surprised me. Really? I mean, neither of the characters are very popular. That's true. But like Tara is, I think, pretty well known in the comic community for being probably like the most well-known betrayer in comics. If you say so. I do. But nevertheless, I have the results from the matchup here. The winner in the duel between Tara and Avalanche is... Avalanche. Really? Barely. I I don't know. Why does that surprise me? How close was it? It was really close. Avalanche won 511 matches or 51.1% of the simulations we ran compared to Terra, who won 48.9%. Conceptually, it's a little bit hard to fathom because really everything that Avalanche can do, Terra can do, right? Yes. But I guess in terms of like practicality, like what effectively can they do? They both can do a shit ton of damage. And whatever advantage Terra's geokinesis may provide her, practically, it doesn't do more for her than Avalanche's armor does for him. I guess. I mean, I don't like these results. I'm not going to lie. I think they're stupid. But if I had to rationalize it, I would say that basically Terra shoots rock and Avalanche's whole thing is destroying what she shoots. So that's not good for her. Even in our speculation, anything I threw at you, you were just going to disintegrate. That's true. He's much more of a disintegration character than Terra is. Yeah, for sure. Still, like, she's insanely powerful in the comics. But can't she take down the Eiffel Tower in one fell swoop? Yeah, for sure. But can't she also be thrown against a wall by the Hulk? Uh, no. No, she definitely can't. I mean, she freaking killed herself by dropping rocks on herself. Since Avalanche could do exactly that, these results make a little bit more sense to me now. Still stupid, but they make a little bit more sense. (laughs) Well, let that be a lesson to you. Don't bring a rock to an armor fight. You get on me for like dumb jokes at the end. (laughs) That was the dumbest joke I've ever heard you say. Was it dumb or was it profound in the context of this match? It was the latter. It was dumb. Well, that does it for this duel. Let us know what you thought about the results by writing to us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on Instagram or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by checking out our show notes or by visiting our website, dynamicduel.com. Dude, I'm bummed. Can you tell? Like, I did not expect these results. That sucks. I was just about to ask, Jonathan, you sound like you just want to get this episode over with. I do. Let's, <laughs> let's wrap this shit up. Uh, on our site, you could also find a link to our Patreon page where you could join our Dynamic 2.0 tier and chat with us and fellow listeners. Our Fantastic Four tier, which gets you bonus content each month, or our X-Force tier that makes you an executive producer of this podcast. Uh, if you can't join Patreon, you can still support the show by signing up for our e-newsletter, also at dynamicduel.com. And don't forget, when you sign up for our e-newsletter and confirm your email address, you get access to the visual data of the results from this matchup. Next week, I will be going on a business trip to Las Vegas. Uh, Vegas, baby! Yeah, I- 
guess I'm not a big Vegas guy, honestly. Not going to lie there. <laughs> um, but we will be doing a tie-in episode to that of sorts by reviewing the very first MCU film, Iron Man, in which he makes a trip to Vegas. Yeah, I cannot believe that we have not reviewed the first Iron Man movie yet on this podcast. It is phenomenal. I can't wait to watch it and then review it and just talk about how amazing it was. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I think I've only seen it like once or twice. So it's a great origin story for sure. It's really well made. And of course, Robert Downey Jr. is a tour de force in it. Yeah, so look forward to that. But that does it for this episode. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, John Starosky, Zachary Hepburn, Dustin Belcom, Miggy Mathingian, Brendan Estergaard, Nathaniel Wagner, Levi Yayin, Nick Abonto, Austin Wesolowski, AJ Dunkerley, Scott Camacho, and Gil Camacho for helping make this podcast possible. We'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away. True believers. <laughs>